Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. To be more agile, if we want to get away from command and control, we cannot do that through a non-agile process and demand getting away from command and control. I mean, you can't get away from command and control by commanding and controlling people. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Number show. Today, I'm talking with Ricard Olsen. And uh, Ricard's a little unusual in that after spending 15 years to the day working in traditional business controller and finance director roles at AstraZeneca, he then left to become a consultant, leading the move beyond budgeting and those traditional command and control type roles. So what I'm most interested in talking to him about today is why is it that it's now we're at the tipping point for beyond budgeting to start delivering those very large gains in finance and within our organizations as well, and where we can perhaps start with getting those benefits from and some of the, the steps we can start taking in terms of leveraging the value of that. Uh, we, we also get into a rather amusing conversation as to why you only spent five minutes in auditing and then redirected into a career in management accounting. We also discussed the development in finance and accounting roles over the last 15 years, as well as three useful things we must know before we begin engaging on implementing a rolling forecast process and starting to move beyond budgeting and those traditional command and control type roles. So look, hope you enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed uh, catching up with Ricard. You can check out the details of our conversation at Timestamp's show notes, key quotes, resources that Ricard mentions and ways to connect with him at sitnshow.com. And we always really appreciate when you comment on the show, leave reviews and recommend us to your friends and colleagues. We're on all the major platforms now. So you can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify. And we really appreciate you investing your time with us today. So that's enough for me. So over to Ricard and the show. So Ricard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It is great to have you on and it's always fantastic to, to bring on another guest mentor who a fellow audience or fellow guest mentors are recommended. So, look, uh, you may be more familiar to some in our community than others. And for those that you're not, perhaps, would you mind maybe taking a sort of brief journey of your career in finance and accounting, please? Yep, no problem. So I am a, a finance by, by training. I'm actually the third in my family attending the same finance school the, the, at the University of Gothenburg. It actually started off with my grandfather going there in the 30s sort of one of the actual mm. really first students at that school. My, my father went there in the late 60s. So I actually, I just ended up there in the beginning of the 19s. I guess I didn't have any other opportunity to do anything. <laughs> so I, I went into the university thinking that I would be an auditor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Five minutes to the first accountancy uh, uh, lecture, I decided not being an auditor rather than focusing what you might call management accounting or performance management or, or so. So I actually, after university, uh, got into the pharmaceutical industry. So I started out at a company called Astra, a, a Swedish pharmaceutical company that actually merged after just 
half a year with Seneca and mm. a British or UK-based pharmaceutical, and now they are mm. then Astra, AstraZeneca. So I actually spent sort of almost 15 years, actually to the day, in AstraZeneca. I then moved into consultancy. So for, for seven years, I was uh, working for a Swedish consultancy firm called Eka Management. And Eka Management was the Swedish partner to the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable. And that led me into the positions I'm having now then as a managing director for the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable, which I've had for the last year or so. So actually today is celebrating one year at, at the helm of, of, of that organization. Look, at uh, congratulations on that, that, that journey. There's, there's a few areas in there I think would be interesting to our audience. Uh, but before we go into those, I, I was sort of curious because similar to yourself, Ricard, uh, actually, you probably made your decision a bit even faster than I did. I actually wanted to be an auditor as well. Mm-hmm. But then I, I think I left after five months yeah. as opposed to uh, five minutes <laughs> and then, then went into management accounting. But so I suppose, you know, was it for you about auditing that or management accounting that drew you one way and away from the other way? I think that rather it actually was what there was a twofold thing, I, I guess. The one thing of the, and I want to be a bit naughty towards auditors, but mm-hmm. when auditing is at its worst, it's sort of a bit rigid. There mm-hmm. are the, the yes and no, the binary answers, and it's a bit uh, backward looking. And hence then it's, I think management accounting should be at least the opposite. It should be forward looking. There are no binary answers. There are even sometimes no binary questions. I mean, it's a much more holistic view. And, and for me, when, when performance management or management accounting works at its best, it's actually not only a finance skill or a finance profession. It's actually something that covers the entire organization or enterprise. So I guess it was that that led me to it. I'm, I'm a bit intrigued by tricky questions. intrigued by things that don't have a simple answer and I'm also very intrigued of trying to influence the future that steered me towards management accounting rather than than auditing. I think uh, it's funny I was actually at a a finance was all hands yesterday and actually afterwards having a conversation with a few people uh, there was a rather senior and finance person there and he was saying to one of the interns who I, I brought along you know he said to them you know in finance you can find a role for pretty much anyone and it's great that you can sort of have uh, I suppose opportunities to to play to your strengths and interests Uh, and Mm -hmm. like from an auditing perspective an auditor's perspective there's also roles for that still and I suppose we couldn't really do one successfully without the other I guess probably like two sides of the same coin um, as you will so so that that, that's really encouraging Um, uh, and again I suppose for a younger audience that that's very useful to understand that then where i'd go probably ricard is you know in your 15 years at astrazeneca uh, to the day which is quite amazing as well i mean what was the biggest change you saw in finance during your 15 years there it actually starts up with how you would look on finance and one of the things that was very very clearly when i started it was that the finance roles were a bit of jack of all trades Mm-hmm. The, the role that I started in was, was a role called assistant business controller. 
sort of a junior business controller, business analyst role. But what you did was a little bit of everything. You you, you sort of help people with, you know, booking invoices. You 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 help them with some purchasing stuff. You did a bit on budgeting. You did a bit on forecasting. You did a bit bit of everything. So it was a quite broad role but in that sense it didn't really help you to become very skillful in anything so i think the first thing that that happened through those years was a very clear distinction that you couldn't really talk about one finance function or one finance role or or one one finance person um, you need actually to look at it because the, the, the field is so broad so, I mean, the first thing that actually happened was that, and I was sort of part of this by, by working with some of the reorganizations we did, is trying to build it into three broad buckets of, of finance skills, organizations, whatever you might call it. The first one would be what I would call specialist finance. I mean, okay. that would be where you would be a bit nerdy. There would be more of right and wrong answers uh, you would be needed to keep updated on things happening in regulations or, or anything else. And that could be, for instance, treasury, insurance, uh, you know, the, the accounting on a very corporate consolidated level, etc. You would yeah. be working with one or two quite niche questions, you know, eight hours or more per day. Uh, and that would... In, in many cases be either centralized uh, because you would be needing to, to do that in a, in a good way or actually you would work with outsiders like for instance auditors or or the banks for your treasure a bit etc the second part is where you would see what I would call the transaction ones I mean that is things that will happen loads of things will happen and it would be sort of the same things happening all the day every day and I mean, the, the most common would be, you know, the transactional finance services. I mean, invoices and outgoing and ingoing invoice and those types of stuff where mm -hmm. I, you would see the what you would need to achieve would be the lowest cost per unit, more or less. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you would see that through shared service centers and, and utilization of IT systems and lean practices a bit more. And, and then you would come up to the third bit, what I would call the, the analyst part or the decision support part, where you actually would, would need to understand the business a bit more, or you need to be actually part of the business to influence them. So if, if, you, if you look at these, you can probably see yourself, your colleagues or, mm. or bosses that would fit better in one of these three buckets. And that was something that really developed quite quite intensively over the years and, and something that I brought into my, my role as a, a consultant when I work with developing finance uh, organizations. So that would be yeah. the first, first bit of it that, that was really, really the change. And if you look at it, the, the two first one, the specialist and the transaction, there you would your your finance skills would be much more transferable across industries if you're really good of, of building a, a finance service center it wouldn't really matter if you were doing it for a a pharmaceutical industry or automotive industry or even for a 
you know, the public organization, like a municipality or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And part of that would be be the same if you go for the specialist. If you would be a treasury specialist, it wouldn't really care if you would work for an automotive or pharmaceutical industry. Whilst the decision support bit, you really need to understand the business. You need to be extremely curious on what drives costs and income in that industry. And as we are going into the world where we are right now, where, but, but you know, business models are changing faster and faster. You really need to be more embedded in the industry and in the business. It, that's actually really, um, uh, like Ricard, thanks for breaking it out into those three. I, I, I use the word, I suppose, buckets, right? But like uh, thinking about, I'm sort of scratching my head. I think those of us in larger multinationals um, and more developed enterprises or, or countries that, that are looking at this probably have taken this for granted. Yeah. But you just reminded me of some of the previous guest mentors we've had on the show. And, you know, when they've moved from, say, a developing economy to one that was perhaps a bit more further along its path, the, the, the thing that they said that was key, uh, resonates in my head is they felt they were the jack of all trades. Mm when they were starting out and now and in, 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 when they've moved to sort of the more developed economy they, they tend to see more specialism these transactional only areas yep. and then the decision support analyst type uh, positions yep. so so thanks for categorizing that i mean i suppose in terms of what you say is the role of the generalist gone per se or is there still opportunities for a generalist it, it really depends on what type of journalist you are talking about, because I think if you're talking about the financial generalist, I think actually that person is, is actually not that valid anymore. I mean, if, if you take really, really small companies where you're sort of the only person, of course, you need need to be that. But if, if you're talking in some broader context, I don't think you can be that one anymore. It's like... I, I usually sometimes take it when sitting at, you know, you know, dinner tables and something. And, and at least in Sweden in February, everybody's doing their tax returns. For, for, <laughs> everybody's asking me on, on, you know, how, what should I do about this and this and this on the tax return of this new regulation? I'm saying, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't, I probably don't have a better clue in you than that because I haven't read that, that tax regulation on, how you would do when you're you're refurbishing your house this uh, or yeah. opposite somebody asked me you know there's a change in the interest rate now and i'm going to the bank because i'm buying a new house what do you think about the interest rates five years from now i would probably say i mean you could probably read the papers and do as, as a best guess as me but it's like <laughs> yeah. more about you know information hierarchies in in a financial system or how we would talk about performance evaluation etc mm-hmm. i would gladly help you with that one so in that sense i think the generalist is is a bit dead but mm-hmm. at the same time when working within that decision support part you will of course bring your financial acumen and skills yes. but there you need to be a bit more generalist you need to understand what yeah. hr is talking about you now need to understand what your procurement colleagues are talking about you need to understand what your sort of manufacturing or whatever business people are talking about so i think you need to have a generalist mindset although i think if you're going to be a finance generalist you will not you will not succeed going forward because you need to find your niche yes i think that's the the trade-off isn't it really i I think you've lined that up quite nicely i think that's really great advice is you got to find your niche or your niche in there to be successful and i suppose 
then on your journey and i think it's interesting we're, we're, we're talking about it. i remember hearing something about it many many years ago it was called beyond budgeting and it probably meant one thing to me i suppose in terms of your mind what does beyond budgeting mean to you i mean i think i need to step back a bit actually before i i, I come to that because during my time at AstraZeneca, when becoming business control and working, I sort of had this feeling that I was doing something that wasn't really helpful for the business. I mean, with the normal traditional stuff, with a, a very classical budget process. But I didn't have the language or the, how should I phrase it, the, 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 the layout of, of what it was that was the problem. Uh, and then I met with Beate Bochnes out of, of Equinor, Normally, Statoil, then um, author of uh, really good books about beyond budgeting and how to implement it, etc. And he sort of laid out in one of the presentations that the problem is not that parts of the activities that we do when we do a budget is that we sort of put them into to one process. So it is really, really important that we set sort of targets and goals and objectives for an organization. We need to know where we're heading, what good looks like, and and so on but we do, shouldn't do that the same time as we are trying to do a forecast where we think we will be and at the same time we need to be better at allocating resources and those resources could be money but they could be i mean people or machinery or whatever sure, yeah. At, yeah you know at a very annual fixed base we need to, to make resources available when needed so i think that just that concept if they, i when i have you know, training sessions or workshops and stuff. If you know, they could be for you know four or five days sometimes, and I say to them, if you don't bring anything else with you, bring with you the concept that try to separate and optimize the processes relating to to target setting, forecasting, and resource allocation. And that is sort okay. of the, the trick for me. Just just liberating and separating those three processes. I mean that is still what what gets me triggered and, and sort of <laughs> me try to when i work with companies and try them to get away from the old-fashioned way of doing stuff just, just that that it's a brilliant thing of, of of separating those three things so so okay so, so maybe maybe for audience if they were to like like for me when i hear of the the beyond budgeting movement it's in some cases it again depends on the organization could be a huge cultural change and i want to touch on that with you but yeah. for our audience listening in the the three the three elements there you mentioned about liberating i mean where could where could we start taking some baby steps to do that yeah i think the very important thing here is that it really depends it's it, I mean, it's the best answer sometimes, but it's also the yeah, worst answer. <laughs> but if you look at it and where many people sort of today have at least tried to start is within the forecasting space. I mean, this, this getting into the rolling forecast, I mean, changing the rhythm of it and you don't just do your forecast on an annual basis where you start up with sort of 12 months, you go to nine, six, three months, and then you start over with 12 months, but but rather roll. Yeah. The problem with that one is if many people or many organizations see is that it would just become a budgeting process four times per annum. But if, uh -huh. if you do it rightly, I think forecasting and rolling forecasting or changing the cadence and rhythm and the details in your forecasting could be a good way of, of doing it. At the same time you really need 
to to talk and, and change your, your your culture the way you talk about performance and stuff hmm. but but as i said it, it it really depends where you're at but rolling forecast is a is a setting where many people at least start it mm-hmm. needs to be I think it needs to be part of a, a broader context because if you don't change your resource allocation process, keeps that one with a yearly cadence and yearly rhythm, and your target setting and your performance evaluation still is year, based on the yearly stuff, that that rolling forecast really doesn't help you. I've seen loads of companies do fail in that sense. So mm-hmm. I think you need to have a I should face it, the revolutionary mindset of changing all, but perhaps starting an evolutionary way in any of them. Uh, forecasting could be a good way of start, but I'm not saying that that, that is the only way. See, that, that's another thing as well, is to keep the confidence, because again, I suppose it comes back to what you said, it depends. And that with that revolutionary mindset, but take an evolutionary approach. Yeah. But my only concern with that is is that like, yes, it's, it's great to have this idea and for us in finance to be more useful, but how do we then keep confidence during the journey if we're trying to just do it in an evolutionary approach, which I agree is the right one, but how do we keep it going? Because I imagine we're going to meet some resistance along the way, right? Definitely. And I mean, but I think it is, first of all, you need to put it in the context of why are we doing this? Um, Mm -hmm. Just changing the process as such without talking, you know, why we are doing it, changing the way we, we do our evaluation, etc., will not work. And that comes back to the target setting thing, where we are so used by setting targets on a quarterly or, or yearly basis. We are we are sort of bad of having longer-term target setting or even target setting without an end date. Mm-hmm. And, and also one of the things that we are talking about when we're talking about beyond body things, we talk about companies on a beyond body thing journey. And, and trying mm. to sell consultancy service or advisory service and saying it's a sort of a never-ending journey, it's not a project, it's, it's a revolution, it's not very good because people want to understand how many months will it take and how much, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. how much will the invoice be. <laughs> yeah. and, and especially with them, we are saying like, for instance, Handelsbank, and they started in 1972 and they think they have grasped it. And set up... <laughs> After the making rule started, you know, 20 years ago, and you know they they think they've grasped it a bit. So I think one needs to to be able to to have that mindset because the world is not any longer that you could sort of just do your quarterly and yearly planning and that is the only way. Because when we start off many of these projects, we start off with a you know with a vision and you know and and it just as we go along in an agile way, it sort of you know steers us in the in the in the right direction i think that the important thing here is to just understand that as well if we want to be more agile if we want to get away from command and control we cannot do that through a non-agile process and demand getting away from command and control i mean you can't get away from command and control by commanding and controlling people yeah, it's just yeah, it's um, it's like uh, what was this like the traffic lights versus the um, the roundabout yeah. or the the yeah that type of thinking, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I like that. And actually, um, there is one question I do want to sort of come in is is you made a point there about the but you know so, so like for example, rolling forecasts, how, how to avoid it becoming in effect four mini budgets if you're doing it quarterly throughout a year. 
Yeah. Uh, how how do how do we avoid that trap? Because it's well intentioned, obviously, to to move to rolling forecast. Obviously, have the right reasons to do it. Yeah. But like, you know, what's it? How, how do we avoid this this mini budget type type situation? I think there are how to face it. There are three things that you really need to, to understand here. First of all, why do you do your forecast? For whom are you doing it? I mean, just asking yourself that question. I mean, because sometimes you do it because liquidity is, or, you know, cash is, is very important for you. You do it for the bank or you do it for somebody else. Or do you do it for the business sometimes? So just, just asking the question, why do we actually do a forecast at all? I mean, for me, because the, if, you, if you think about the most agile organization ever, wouldn't need to have any forecast whatsoever because you would just change. As the environment changes, you will just change. I mean, no organization, you know, all that, that agile to be doing that. But I'm just asking that. The second one is definitely to limit the details you're having. Forecasting does not need to mirror accounting. It's one of the most flaws we, we, we do in so many times. We take the, we take the sort of actual accounting with all the, the roles that we have in, in our PL for balance sheets whatsoever. And we yeah, yeah. to do our forecasting in the same <laughs> way. So, so I'm saying what you actually should do is, is limit the details. You should limit yeah, the details. That's, so, that's a great point. And you could actually be even more dramatical. You don't need to have forecasting in the same way that you would do your actual accounting. Because you could you could have your forecast on KPIs, market share, hours, or any other stuff. That would actually help you understand where you're heading. That could then yes. that because if you think in a consultant, That's a great point. Hours spent on out on um, at clients will eventually lead into an invoice, which lead into on your accounts of of, of revenue. You would have a, a certain amount of dollars or pounds or euros or whatever. Mm -hmm. Why do you need sometimes to forecast the dollar or euro or pound amount? You can just stay with forecasting your hours. So you don't sometimes actually don't need to have a financial forecast if you have business driver forecasts. That comes into the other one. Try to use business drivers. So one, think about what, why do you do a forecast? Who is needing the forecast? Secondly, less details, more drivers, or even only forecast the drivers. The third part I would sort of recommend is thinking about the time horizons. When we see many people that go into rolling forecasts, they, they sort of have the normal 12 months, you know, a yearly one, and they think very hard and we should just do something dramatically so they add one quarter into it. So they have, you know, five quarters or 15. Yes. Very <laughs> just to sort of show that this is not a yearly thing. But my view is you should really think about how long in the future do you need your forecast? How long can you see? I mean, in, if I look about... For instance, my old consultancy firms, we only did very high level forecast for three months going forward on revenue. Why should you even try to forecast something when you don't have a clue what's going to happen in six or nine months time? It was a bit difficult for the CFO because he didn't have a full year uh, forecast, but it really didn't help. So just by hmm. utilizing, I mean, trends or anything, he, he came to the full year. So really think hard enough on what time horizon you should do your forecast on. And secondly, how often do you need to update it? And that might actually mean that you in a organization might have 
two or three or four different time horizons or update cadences. For instance, for your part of your DNA cost, let's say you have a building that you own yourself. Why even do that more than once per annum? Have a look at what's the energy costs, you know, what's the, what's the yearly rent, blah, blah, blah. Do it once per annum. But if you are in a very fast moving retail, you might be needing to do your forecasting every week, but only for three weeks ahead if prices mm -hmm. changes. I mean, if you look at one of the most classical examples that, that you know, I wouldn't go through it now, but that you can, that the listeners could look into South Southwestern Airlines, which have sort of seven or eight types of forecasting. One of them is, is for the revenue. They do a revenue forecast every day, but look sort of two, three months ahead. And why do they do it every day? Yeah, because in the airline industry, prices changes every day these days. Mm. We actually change several times per day. Hmm. I mean, if, if a competitor do, do something on their prices, you know, at 12 o'clock, you will probably change your prices by two o'clock. As the prices are changing so much, why even try to look further on them than three months or, or so on? Another yeah. case could be, be Equinor, you know, old stacked oil. They have some oil trading. I mean, oil prices change by the minute. So for their oil trading business, why even try to do a forecast? Yeah. And then they have stuff they do in the, in the Nordic Sea where they try to find oil. When they go out, first start to look at the map. There might be oil here. They, they go out there and do some tests and they build it stuff. It takes 20 years. So in certain areas, they might need to do a, a forecast or some at least scenario for 20 years ahead because it, it's needed for that part of the business. So the third is, mm. look at your parts of business, try to understand how long can you see in the future and how often do you need to change it. And it might be so that different parts of your organization actually might need to have different forecasting processes. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, imagine how many companies out there take a, a view that, you know, one sort of cadence or one frequency of forecast fits all. You know, a business is made up of many different parts for different reasons. So why should I have that one size fits all? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I have to say, Ricard, never thought about it like that before. So so, so th thanks for, for the, the the great bits of advice. And I do want to touch on, I suppose, look, we've covered a lot. There are some really good examples. I mean, what's exciting you most about your current work at the moment? It is that we are on that, how shall I phrase it, tipping point where more and more organizations actually is looking tough on their, uh, how shall I phrase it, traditional management models. Mm. So we are okay. seeing, I mean, our, our membership base, the clients that the client services that we, we are working with, and just the interest is, is really growing. It's growing, I mean, all across the world. I've been to, to, to Asia a couple of times last year. We're seeing good stuff happening in Eastern Europe, which has been, a, you know, very traditionally in the way they run their companies in many years, etc. So, I mean, that is really, really on the tipping point to something now. And what I think also is very, very interesting is the work where we're cooperating with other organizations. We're cooperating really good with the Agile movement. We're cooperating mm. really good with the Lean movement. We're cooperating more and more with HR through, I mean, HRA agile hr and, and and so on so it becomes from many different aspects people are sort of 
coming together and sort of the same thing. If you if you do look at some of the agile principles, if you would look at some of the lean principles, they are very very similar to the beyond budgeting principles. And we would might use different words, etc. But but I mean, what we are trying to achieve is is actually quite similar. So that is really what excites me today. And look, I, I suppose, look, you've got a lot going on, so you may not have had the time to think about this. So I'm going to ask the question anyway. Like, for, uh, my sense is that beyond budgeting, great, great, great concept has been around a long time. So why why now is a tipping point? Why, or why recently the tipping point? Mm. And then what's happened to, 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 get, to get to here, to get to this point? Yeah, I think there are environmental aspects to this. And I think the the first tipping point actually is sort of now sort of 12 years ago, or it might be. It's sort of the, the, the crash of the Lehman Brothers stuff. I mean, where, where sort of loads of, of things just, just crazy, where people could, you know, over one or two or three months lose 20, 25, 30, 35, just... 50% of their revenue. And I mean, that part, I mean, everybody threw out their plans. In that mm. time, point. Mm. And it sort yeah. of started out, and you might then say it's been a really long tipping point if it was 2000. <laughs> It has taken some time. The other thing that sort of has happened is that as many companies and organizations and even public services has tried to go agile in, mm. in how they operate, when agile sort of comes up to from the really small teams to become a bit bigger, sort of what we would call organizational agile or enterprise agile, it sort of hits the budget ceiling. And that mm-hmm. is one thing that we really see. We're seeing loads of companies going agile, but sort of fail because the budget, the financial processes sort of inhibits them to go truly agile. Mm-hmm. So that is mm-hmm. one of the you know strongest driving forces. And the, the last one is sort of the, the entirety of digitalization, new business model, apps and everything that really makes everybody needed to be much more quicker. I mean, the old way that people understand is not working anymore. And and the thing that I would probably think would be very important going forward, it might not be right now, is actually that people, I mean, the generation coming up now, which in you know, the early 20s, they, they brought up with a very different mindset. Networking, they will not be, be working at the same company for, you know, the 30 plus years that we have been doing. They want more autonomy. They want to be listened at. Uh, we would have much more equality. Not only, I mean, gender equality, but, you know, the old organizational hierarchy that has been there. So I think that driving force will also be, be, be mm. very important going forward. I mean, more and more people would like to have a, a real stake in the organizations they work in to be able to flourish themselves and work together in a, a much more. And I think that will be one of the important things going forward. Well, well, just on that last point alone, there, Ricard, like that was the main motivation behind this podcast starting up is to help people become more influential in finance and have have that opportunity to make a meaningful difference. Yeah, uh, and therefore, then you get the fun and and the rewards and 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 the good feelings again about the career and what we're doing. So, so look, thank you for so much. Uh, really great, insightful uh, advice um, there, and and I suppose in terms of if I turn it back on you, then. Uh, you know, maybe what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? Mm, that's really, really good. I, I think I have 
two bits and pieces of that. One is actually, I wouldn't say boring, but not inspiring, but it really, really actually, actually helped me. That is, as you might understand from my answer of not being an auditor and management accounting, it might actually be so that I'm a bit lazy and <laughs> and a bit sloppy. So it's better if I can say things, it, it depends. And the, the number might be somewhere between nine and ten, in order to need to say it's nine point fourteen. It, it is really important. I got I got an advice from from one of my bosses, Assessor Seneca said. I mean, you need to start with the basic and get the basics right. I mean, it's it, it's no way, and that's why I say. It. I mean, the the specialist finance and the transactional. If you don't start with proper accounting, it doesn't really matter. If you don't have a clue on your numbers. I mean, it doesn't really matter. So I think that is really important. And that's why we often say to Cup, you need to have really good accounting. You need to have your accounting yeah. in place to be able to loosen up on forecasting processes, to talk about the holistic stuff. If you don't have a clue where you're heading and how, how the, your organization is going, if you're doing a profit or loss or what customers are good or bad, I mean, it, it doesn't really help you. So I think that is the get the basic right the numbers need to be there i'm delighted you said that that's the key message i drive into my teams it's yeah. it's you just got to get the foundations right and that allows us to, it earns us the right to go and yeah. play at the higher yeah. value stuff you know you have to get that right and you that, don't get to play and, otherwise and, and that is exactly because this was this boss you know second thing because he said because otherwise i will not bring you to the table to discuss the other stuff <laughs> exactly great great expression yeah exactly completely but but um, I, I suppose it's with those things like did that make sense at the time you know yeah. it's like it makes sense to us now but like back then it's like oh yeah okay yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, that sort of actually really really helped me and that sort of leads into the second part where where I the other advice I, I got and it's at never stop being curious I mean ne- never stop reading up never stop li- listening to to pods like this and never stop you know asking questions because somebody else will ask the question if and listen and read if you don't do it and then they would have more knowledge and more understanding where we're heading so you need to be curious i mean it's and and, and today it sort of you know seems to be a a daunting task because there are so much information out there but you need to stay curious that's one thing that hasn't changed is that need to stay curious it's just that it's as you said it's it could seem very daunting with the yep. information overwhelm out there but just start somewhere right and i think the necessary thing is just to do something in that space so look at uh, ricard thank thanks again yep. for that that great advice if um our audience wanted to maybe check out some resources i mean are there any particular resources or books you could recommend them go to go check out yeah i mean first of all i, I would recommend our homepage bbrt.org we have sort of a knowledge base. We, we post blogs and stuff thereon, and you can follow us on, on LinkedIn and so on. But also, I think one of the people that what you, you might be wanting to follow is Jack de Boogsnes, my our chairman. He's, he's very, you know, on LinkedIn and Twitter. He's, he's really often there, just, just small quotes and, and, and stuff, but also links. Otherwise, I think there are a number of books that I think is really good to have. One is a, it's a classic. It's the first one. That, that sort of started the entire journey. So it's sort of 20 plus years, but it's still very valid. It's, it's the Beyond Body Team book by Jeremy Hope and, and, and Robin Fraser. I would guess mm-hmm. the second one would be Yachter's book, Implementing Beyond Body Team, because that is a very hands-on stuff, what's, what's happened at Borealis and, and Stata Lekenau, where he has really worked with these questions. 
and then one if you're really interested in forecasting i would i would give you future ready by steve morlich also part of, mm. of, of our core team so those three books would probably be really interesting for everybody to, to want to have a a crash course on what we are all about yeah so, so th- what a great way to begin with that curiosity you just yeah. mentioned uh, any of those resources i think will move the needle in the right direction so that's that's some great recommendations there ricard and you know, should any of the audience maybe wish to continue the conversation with yourself, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? I mean, try to connect me on, on, on LinkedIn, Rickard Olson at uh, Beyond Body Thing, or even give okay. me uh, an email at, at rolson at bbrt.org. But LinkedIn, you can find me and I will be accessible on the bbrt.org homepage as well, of course, with all contact people. Hey, Ricardo, thanks for those links. And again, we will put them into the show notes also. Yep. And I, I suppose in terms of wrapping up uh, our time together, you know, would you have any parting thoughts for our audience? I'm from Sweden and ice hockey is really big in Sweden. It, it, might, it might not be, be in Ireland, but it's yeah. very interesting. One of the, the, the radio pundits, he, he always said that you know 100% of the shots you don't shoot will definitely not be a goal and and what i mean with that if you are beyond body thing and, and starting to this journey but you can't start the journey without taking the first small step i mean you really need to do something and even if it's a really small step change a portion of your 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 forecasting process change a portion of how you would evaluate your performance change a portion of how you set targets Set, change a small bit in how you do re, your resource allocation. You can do it for the entire company or for a small division or a small group or whatever it might be. But you need to take the first step to start your journey. What, what a great way to end the show. And, and again, look, thank you for taking the steps, Ricard, through your journey. You know, your time at, uh, I suppose, college or university through to AstraZeneca, through to the, the beyond budgeting work you've been doing uh, and giving us such great advice and insights on the show. And um Thanks again for investing the time with us today. Thank you very much. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 